Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And uh, as we've been doing for many weeks now, this is a special edition concerning COVID-19, the coronavirus that we've all been uh, living with for the last um, number of weeks, over a month, going on two months now. And we're going to talk uh, in the next two segments about the impact of the whole topic and how it affects us here in Cuyahoga County. And joining us, we have Cuyahoga County Council Member Nan Baker, who joins us from time to time. And we so much appreciate that. Nan, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here today and talk a little bit about Cuyahoga County and some of the things that we're doing to help our residents and those that are most in need. Well, in, in the past, uh, we've always been talking about uh, the county and, and how the different services the county provides and the kind of income and revenues we're receiving. And uh, we were always talking about essentially business as usual. Uh, the idea of the coronavirus, though, has been taking over all of our, I think, uh, daily thoughts, and both from a health standpoint and an economic standpoint. Uh, let's talk about the health standpoint first. How are we doing in Cuyahoga well, County we, with uh, COVID-19? Right. Um, it has been uh, very challenging. I mean, as everyone knows, businesses are, are all shut down, and our residents, um, not only in Cuyahoga County, but across the state of Ohio, have been at stay-at-home orders, and uh, the combination of the two has, has been pretty devastating, um, not only on people's lives and how they conduct themselves in a day-to-day and trying to find and be as productive as they can, but also um, those that are um, suffering from this uh, illness and what we're doing to make sure that we give them the best care that we can. We did receive um, $215 million from the federal government um, specifically to assist those with the COVID-19 uh, virus. Um, so it's from the CARES Act. Um, so we are right now uh, taking, starting to use some of that money and um, along with uh, Metro Health to, for testing. Uh, testing right now is probably the biggest issue that confronts us right now, trying to get our arms around how many people have it and where they are in, in their illness and how long does it last after uh, they seem to not have the symptoms anymore. Um, we're focusing for the most part on, on the nursing homes, um, group living facilities, um, homeless shelters, anywhere where there's clusters of people, especially if they tend to be 65, 70, 75 years old, uh, we're trying to concentrate that testing um, for them specifically. 30,000 uh, tests right now are predicted to be initiated with the first $5 million that Metro now is uh, going to be delivering. And that's about 2,000 people a day. So the emphasis right now uh, is really trying to get our arms around what we're confronting uh, when it comes to this virus. And as we open up businesses, watching uh, and hoping that that flatness that we were able to, uh, to obtain stays that way and then tap down any spikes that uh, may be appearing as we see these uh, businesses opening up. So in a you know in an eggshell, mm-hmm. that is where uh, we are at when it comes to um, trying to contain 
what uh, what we're dealing with. We we always have a lot of questions concerning statistics uh, as to trying to help us identify how we're moving with regard to uh, how successful we are with distancing and that kind of thing. Uh, at the last right. count, we're plus or minus around 2,700 cases here in Cuyahoga County, a county that has about, what, 1.3 million people in it. And yes. is that number is that number staying fairly constant, or uh, yes, are, are we still on the uptrend? Or? Uh, well, we have lost population uh, over the years. That's why we've lost two congressional seats. Um, it is, um, it's, it's staying steady, but since we were really on a, on a roll there for a while before all of this hit, downtown Cleveland was, was, uh, really doing the job in attracting business and workforce training was, uh, a huge initiative and, um, getting people back to work and it was, um, unemployment was low. So we were making a difference, but, uh, this virus has really set us back. And our budget, of course, shows that, like all budgets across the state of Ohio, Cuyahoga County is no different. Um, we're looking, we just had a um, council meeting of the whole and had a, an update from our finance director, and things are uh, very challenging. We're looking to, our I should say, our, our um, executive has told us we're probably in the hole about $78 million dollars. And um, that's including the opiate dollars that we receive to take care of those with opiate needs. That includes um, taking care of uh, those that we received in the HHS levy, the Health and Human Services levy that passed. And it includes the $120 million in the lawsuit. Uh, I'm sorry, the $120 million that we have in our reserve fund, we're talking about using about $93 million of that. So we are, we have a lot of resources at our disposal, but the overwhelming need is uh, is attacking those resources pretty quickly. So we're uh, we're watching the money closely. We have finance meetings. We've had two so far. I look for another one next week. Uh, as my role as a county council member, we are to oversee the budget. So we're really watching that budget very closely and making sure that. Uh, we're accountable for the dollars that are being spent. But uh, well, in the big picture, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's challenging. Well, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, the status of health and the safety of all the residents are on one side of the equation, and the economy is on the other side of the equation. But the economy is also a byproduct of the health side of the, of the formula and of the equation. That is true. And yes. So... Uh, from the County Board of Health, I, I'm assuming that the County Council is being briefed and updated uh, on a regular basis with regard to how we're doing. And if we're at a count now about 2,700 cases here in Cuyahoga County, uh, do we right. know how many of those have been cleared and how many are active and whether or not the new cases being reported, whether or not they're being reported based upon uh, new and large numbers of testing? Or are we still well, in an uptake? Well, well, we will know more. I mean, as we test more, testing has been lean in re- receiving what it is that we needed to test. So now that we have received these uh, funds from the federal government that allows us now to really pour into the testing, that will be happening. We just got that update on Friday. 
and we're talking today on, on this weekend. So right, next right. week, and as days go on, we will know more and more because we will be testing. As I said, about 30,000 tests are going to be initiated, and that's about 2,000 a day, and we're targeting it to the highest and most um, vulnerable people. So we will know more in the next week to 10 days um, given that type of uh, targeted initiative. Well, let me know if you've heard this also. I'm thinking that with the increase in testing, massive testing, that we're going to see the positive case number go up. And a lot of that, not indicating we're still spreading, but that it's just better testing. Is that what you're being told? That's what we're being told, and also the ratio between those that have it because of testing that we now know, and the amount of deaths will go down. So we will see that, you know, as we test and test and, and that number perhaps would go up, we will also see that um, relative to the death total, we will also see that, that decrease. So it'll that, give us a better understanding. Well, well, that's good because I, I see that the whole concept of health uh, is translated to all of us lay people who are not in the government or not medical people, but uh, mm -hmm. we're basically keeping our distance, we're staying at home, and we're right. avoiding crowds, we're, we're doing all the things that the governor and Dr. Acton say we should do. We're going to have right. to feel pretty comfortable to go out, and, and to do that, we want to know what the numbers are and whether we're still at risk going out, wearing our masks, and trying to still follow the rules or not. So if we're comfortable and we all start going out, then we can actually have a successful uh, boost to the economy if we can do that safely. Is it looking like we'll be can. able to do it safely? And, and we have a, a couple right. of seconds, and we'll take a break here. Okay. And it is really our, our businesses that are engaged. They all know our restaurants and our hair salons and barbers and all the different um, businesses that will be opening here, I believe, on, eight, on uh, May 15th. They are a partner in this. And, of course, as you know in business, they will do what they have to do because they want to make sure their customers feel safe. It's more than just the government telling them so. It's because they, too, know that people will come back if they have a safe environment. Well, that's for sure. Well, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back. We're talking about the coronavirus and how it's impacting us here in Cuyahoga County. And with us tonight talking about it is uh, Cuyahoga County Council Person Nan Baker. And uh, we just got done talking about the health side of it. We're going to talk about the economic side of it when we come back. So we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back to Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And we're talking to Council Member Nan Baker, member of the Cuyahoga County Council. And we're talking about the uh, current impact of the coronavirus, not only from a health standpoint, but also from an economic standpoint. Uh, Nan, again, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Oh, it's so, so good to have you with us, uh, telling us about what's, what's going on. We, we talked about the virus itself and moving and keeping track of it. Uh, but on the economic side, we, we can't sustain this forever for the year it takes to 
come up with a vaccine. Um, you mentioned that we do have some money coming in, and we're forecasting yeah. for the county $78 million loss. That's for what period of time? What, what will that loss cover? Uh, for this year, for the 2020 uh, budget year. So we haven't that, gotten into the 2021 year yet. Oh, when does the 2020 year end? In At the calendar year, or is it a fiscal end? It is a calendar year, so January to December. Oh, good. Well, that gives us more time then, so yeah. that, that yeah. is good to hear. Well, yeah. the uh, the key to it all is that I think all of us out here have been playing by the rules. Uh, I'd say 90-plus percent of us have been playing by the rules with distancing and carefully washing our hands and so forth. Um, between mm-hmm. now and December, are we all going to be able to continue to do that to keep the coronavirus down? And uh, with, uh, what you, what you, with what you understand, as we start reopening business according to the governor's timetable, how does it look here in Cuyahoga County for reopening? Well, we're, we're following the, the governor's advice and certainly uh, want our businesses, if they feel comfortable to open, to open. Uh, you know, as you know, especially small business owners have been hurt the most uh, from these closings. And, you know, they have families and bills to pay like everyone else. And uh, their employees are waiting to be called back. And we're hoping that uh, they open. And uh, I know they are committed to opening and creating a safe environment following the guidelines that are given to them. It will be challenging. They do have the six-foot rule. They have the the masks that need to be worn. Um, Some of these uh, businesses need uh, some type of plexiglass, especially in open areas of restaurants. Uh, Booths seem to be pretty good in uh, protecting people, but the open area where there are open tables uh, can be challenging. Things like taking appointments, uh, making reservations, waiting in your car for your name to be called, uh, all kinds of different um, rules and sometimes even creative ways of making sure that um, your customers know that you care about them first and will do the best in providing the services, whether it's food or haircuts or, or even a medical dentist, lots of different services out there that um, all know what the risk is and will do their best to provide the best service to their people, especially here in Cuyahoga County. You know, we miss yeah. things like mm-hmm. and the baseball games and our hotels are really, will probably not be what they were for a while. Um, but those are the challenges that we face. Well, we, we certainly are. I, I've noticed from the State Department of Health uh, uh, statistics they have for the deaths that are related to COVID-19 is that if you look at everybody who's over 60, you have the 60 to 69 group, 70 to 79, 80 plus. You take those three categories and you come up with uh, slightly over 90% of all of the deaths due to COVID-19. Well, and and that's based on age and immunity systems and that kind of thing. However, are, are we facing from an economic standpoint that we have somewhat of a class divide between people who are 60 and over versus everyone else Mm -hmm. who might feel a little less vulnerable. And how can we keep distancing and keep our our fight against the virus going with this divide? 
Well, that's true. And you can say the same about schools, you know, with our, our younger children, our middle school age children, our high school students. Um, you know, how long can we expect that, that same protocol for those that are probably the least affected? Uh, doesn't mean that they aren't carriers and that they could perhaps take it home and um, carrier, but, but that is a good point. We need to make sure that the most vulnerable have the resources that we have to make sure that they are, they are protected. Um, and for those that are the least vulnerable, it is going to be, I think, more and more difficult to keep asking them to make these drastic changes in their lives when they, when we realize that, um, you know, they will probably, if they were to get this virus, survive it and survive it in some cases not even knowing they had it. So it is a, it is a topic of conversation. It's one that will continue. Um, I think at the most important piece of this is that we know who are most vulnerable and where we need to spend resources. That we didn't know before. Um, now we do. So that's why this money that we've been um, given from the federal government that is specifically for uh, the coronavirus is used for testing, and it's used for testing in the nursing homes, the group homes, um, anywhere where there's an assemblance of people that are 65, 75, 80-plus years old. Um, that is a, something that we, have, we now realize. And that's something that I think we can add to what we know now that we didn't know earlier, uh, because I, I think we've all in Ohio, I think Ohio's been doing an excellent job in flattening that curve and, and cutting down on the number of new cases. But uh, I think everyone is expecting that as we open the economy, there's going to be some degree of a rebound with more cases, with the origination of new community spread developing. But uh, we've learned a lot up to this point, and learning a lot, I think we're better prepared to respond to hotspots. I think you mentioned hotspots earlier, that right. if we have a hotspot, we should be able to do that. And with a hotspot, we get in the, the County Board of Health, we'll be able to start identifying people and using trackers to yeah. determine what kind of contacts. Now, I, I, that's a big lead-up to the question. Is the county hiring more trackers or people who's going to be doing the follow-up? Is this a source for people to get jobs? Well, yes. In fact, uh, the county is hiring um, trackers as we speak. So if anyone has an interest, they should be contacting Cuyahoga County and letting them know that they would uh, like to apply for those jobs. Um, the uh, first is a contract tracer position that pays about eighteen fifty nine an hour, and that person uh, specifically interviews uh, those that were recently diagnosed with the uh, COVID-19. And then the second is a supervisory job that pays $21.81, and those actually oversee uh, the workers. So there is there are jobs available for those that are interested in wanting to be contract tracers. And that is an important job to really take us to the next step of testing. It's one thing to test, but it's another to know who they've been in contact with to try to contain, as we say, perhaps the hotspots that uh, we see in eruption. 
Well, that, that is so important. I've been talking to some other people about how in the past we've been uh, really attacking viral spread. Uh, and when you do have a report of a virus that is contagious and you use the tracers to do the interviews and notify everyone who's had contact, it sort of shut right. down the spread right then and there. So if we can shut it down right. community-wise and go from there, we should have a much better uh, experience with the next round, if there's going to be a next round. Uh, so, well, uh, is there any good news? The last good news before we end our interview tonight, <laughs> anything happening that's positive? Ah, well, um, you know, we're, I, I think just knowing uh, that we have an understanding of this virus is, is a positive thing. I think allowing our businesses to open after they've been shut for the last uh, six to eight weeks is a good thing. Um, I think that uh, just uh, having an understanding um, of knowing what to do if someone does have symptoms of this virus, all those are really very positive things that allows us now to have flattened the curve and to move forward and start reopening. And I think that that is a, a positive story. And one month from now, I think will be very telling as to whether or not we were able to uh, contain this virus and even open up perhaps more so than we are now. Large oh, very, very good. Together and things like that. So we're, we're still somewhat restrained, but I think life will feel better in the next couple well, of weeks. I know the virus hasn't changed, but we have, and we are better equipped to attack it and uh, save lives. Well, Nan Baker, thank you so much. We'll we'll check in with you again, uh, find out how we've improved and what's happening with the virus and our wonderful Cuyahoga County. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It was a pleasure being with you, and uh, everyone take care. Stay healthy, too. Okay, thank you much. We're going to take a short break. That was Nan Baker. Uh, council member of the Cuyahoga County Council. We're going to be back after these words. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here in WHK, the advocate. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In uh, the next two segments, we're going to be talking about some a very serious topic that is part of reality. You know, we've been living with COVID-19 now for, for several months. And beside living with COVID-19, we're talking about the mortality associated with COVID-19. But then again, that's only part of what we live with because there are all other reasons for people dying, like life itself. We all end up dying at some time. People are still dying for other reasons. But what that does with the COVID-19, it gives us time to pause and think about our own mortality and what to do about uh, the end of our life. Well, uh, with us tonight, we have Mark Bush uh, from Mark from the Bush Funeral Information Services. Mark, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick, for allowing me to join you once again. Always good to be with you. Always good to be with you because, uh, you know, you, you have how many... Uh, facilities do you have? You have a great number around here in Cleveland, don't you? Right. We have uh, locations uh, predominantly in the western half of Cuyahoga County and the eastern half of Lorain County. And the what's the number? How many 
different funeral homes? We uh, have seven uh, funeral homes uh, to uh, provide uh, services and care to the communities. So, you know, you're you're out there, you're in the industry, and like I mentioned, you know, we're all obsessed with COVID-19, with uh, this virus and what's happening with it. But, um, you know, people are continuing to die for all kinds of normal, natural reasons. But uh, with regard to COVID-19 and with the amount of work you do here in the area, what what has it been like over the last 90 days? Well... Nick, thanks. That's a, it's a real good question. What what really has happened over the last ninety days? And I can't, you know, I need to look back. And my father died February twenty third, and uh, we had visitation. Yeah, thanks, Nick. You know, we had visitation for him on February twenty seventh, and his funeral on February twenty eighth. And yet, within a week, week and a half later, uh, the next our world as we knew it was turned upside down. Um, and you know, there was precursors coming, but if I would have been here today with talking with you, Nick, and saying that I couldn't have had my father's funeral, I couldn't have had my father's visitation, um, and experienced that human to human interaction, I'd, I'd, I'd probably still be lost in my grief. And so what we've seen real quickly is oh, here it is mother's day and you know, w- w- the whole world of funeral services, we knew it less than 90 days ago, has changed. And, and in large part, the whole world has changed. Um, so the, the impact has been far-reaching, and, and we're experiencing today uh, these families that do have to pause their grief um, because they can't have the type of event we had when my dad died. Um, so it's really made... Uh, my brother, Jim, who's president of the firm, and myself walk in a different set of shoes and a different set of mindset through this entire time. Well, I understand you're sharing uh, your experience, and we had a similar experience. A brother-in-law uh, of ours uh, passed away in Florida. I'll never forget the day. was March 25th, and that's when we were just in the stages of shutting things down and no more airline flights. We, we couldn't go to Florida. There was no funeral. Uh, and it is, it just sort of held everyone up as far as being able to grieve. It's sort of like, how can we have funerals? How can we endure deaths while we're going through all these other issues? Well, uh, first of, yeah. First and foremost, Nick, I need to just give, you know, kudos to my professional colleagues across the profession um, and across the country that have been responding uh, behind the scenes quietly uh, to uh, deaths that are COVID and deaths that are not COVID. We're still experiencing loss, as you said in your opening. And I really want to acknowledge our team at Bush Funeral and Crematory Services, the manner in which they've responded. they have been basically beyond phenomenal in understanding and adapting to the current situation that's based predominantly by the restrictions that we choose to operate under. So at bushcares.com is right there on our homepage. You can click on our community response plan for COVID-19. And in there, it will give 
the family, and the community a step-by-step guide to what we have done to basically creatively adapt to the current environment we have to operate under. Mm. Uh, albeit, albeit very difficult, um, from the initial place of death, what we're doing there, to the initial consultation being done with technology and not face-to-face as we had done in the past, and really uh, doing things above and beyond with our facilities, um, with technology capabilities, as well as a heightened disinfecting and sanitizing uh, that's continuous at our facilities because the public is coming in and out still. Is the uh, are the rules for non transmission and uh, keeping the spread of the virus down? How is that affecting uh, how someone would attend a funeral today? Right. So uh, the World Health Organization and the CDC have both, you know, uh, shared time and time again that there is no known transmission of COVID-19 from a deceased person that has been properly uh, embalmed and uh, preparation completed with disinfection. Um, So there is no known risk of COVID being transferred uh, from a deceased person to those that may be attending a funeral or a visitation. What the interesting thing is, is what occurs when the death occurs. Upon our arrival at a facility, uh, we have to take some different precautions at each facility. Um, what we do behind the scenes to protect you know, our mantra, our safety is your safety, and your safety is our priority at Bush. We, we stand on that because we want to make sure that everyone has, to the best of our abilities, a healing moment, a healing experience. And we can only do that while churches and funerals and funeral homes are exempt under the federal guideline and the state guideline to be exempt and operate recklessly would not be a good decision. And so we've chosen not to. We've stayed to the 10-person gathering with social distancing. We take care of monitoring both public and private gatherings and the flow of number of people coming and going from our facilities. We have gone to having multiple events for one family. In all of our locations, we will not be serving a public or private event simultaneously with another family. We've gone to total all of our facilities being under what we call our singular event uh, protocol. We have all the guidelines for all the churches, what's permitted and not not permitted. We have all the guidelines for the cemeteries of what's permitted and not permitted. And so what we're really trying to do is let's not focus on what we cannot do. Let's focus with you on what we can do. And then we have some type of event now to bring some level of closure to the death, regardless of the cause of death. And we're seeing a good portion of our families planning to have a community event, a community funeral, much like our family was able to enjoy when my dad died just recently at the end of February. Um, mm-hmm. People, st- I, think, I think what we experienced in terms of funerals and the value of the funeral and the value of the ritual... And the value of the people coming together, sharing and remembering, 
and hugging and crying and laughing together will resume. But it's going to resume gradually as people feel comfortable and confident. Well, the uh, like we said earlier on, that you know, people are still dying. We're still going to be faced with uh, recognizing the, the deaths and getting through the grief and uh, honoring the person after they died and trying to do that in some type of dignified manner uh, and do it in an environment of uh, COVID-19. We're going to take a short break here in a moment. Uh, we're talking to Mark Bush from uh, Bush Funeral Homes and Crematory Cremation Services, talking about the uh, how do we do funerals now into this COVID-19 situation? We're going to take a short break. When we're back, we're going to talk to Mark some more about what, what uh, can you expect if you go to a funeral? We have PPE. Um, people take our temperatures. Uh, what how do we get through the grieving that we, we have to do and will come naturally? So uh, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. This is Nick Phillips. So thank you for joining us for our final segment of The Advocate tonight. Uh, we're, we're talking about a topic tonight in uh, these last two segments that uh, we should all know about. We, we don't have to use them. We don't want to use them, but uh, funeral services for members, friends, family who are deceased is something that happens naturally. It's happening all the time, and I think it's more in our forefront now as, as the COVID-19 virus is circulating around and we're watching the, the death numbers in the state of Ohio and across the country change uh, constantly going up. Uh, with us tonight we have Mark Bush joining us, uh, funeral director, uh, owns a number of funeral homes here in the Cleveland area. Mark, thank you for joining us again. Appreciate Thanks, it. Nick. Always good to be with you. Thank you. Well, we, we know that uh, funeral, you know, you and other funeral directors around the country have adjusted very quickly to the restrictions that are imposed upon all of us with regard to meeting and uh, meetings uh, at, at funeral wakes and so forth have definitely taken on a new look since this COVID-19 has been around. When someone goes to a funeral, if, if there's going to be a wake of any sort, uh, what can people anticipate? Um, it, good question, Nick. And it really depends upon the level of comfort uh, that the family has, uh, what what would they like to do uh, to remember their loved one? Um, we have the capacity to uh, have public or private uh, visitations with social distancing. Um, we encourage people to provide and wear their own facial covering, um, as the governor has asked us to do. Um, and 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 really, um, we have hand sanitizing stations uh, upon the entrance to our facilities. We have appropriate uh, signage that if you're symptomatic, please do not enter our facility. Uh, you're just posing a risk to others that are there in attendance. Uh, currently, uh, we do not require a person to wear a mask. Um, that's recommendation from the governor. We also um, do not require and or take a guest 
temperature upon our entrance. Unlike my visit to the Cleveland Clinic this morning, I was greeted by security and had my temperature taken, my wristband put around my wrist that I was identified that I was okay to enter the facility, and there was a hand sanitizing station right there in front of me that they asked me to wash my hands. We provide all the necessary hand sanitizer and disinfectant for individuals' personal care. You know, coughing, all the necessary things that you shouldn't be doing, um, we kind of make that known upon entry to our facilities. Then we basically can control the flow of number of people. So say, for instance, there's four family members in the gathering area with their loved one. We would permit up to six people to be in that room with them, keeping it at that 10-person guideline. Even though the funeral home is exempt, we believe it's in the best interest of the safety of our staff, the safety of the guests, and the safety of the family. And that's our priority at Bush. Um, Our staff, our caring professionals have just gone, like I've said earlier, above and beyond. They have been remarkable in understanding the needs with a higher degree of sensitivity. Um, Not that we weren't sensitive before, but... Everyone's got some fears. Everyone's got some anxieties. And quite honestly, people don't enjoy coming to a funeral home in the first place. You know, it's not something you just want to stop by and do on a regular daily basis. So with everything else that's going on, media and and, and concerns, we've tried to make it as comfortable as possible. We have live no, we, streaming. We, go ahead, Nick. No, go ahead. No, tell me about your live streaming. That's an interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, so... Um, you know, we have webcasting capabilities um, and we have live streaming capabilities. Um, our equipment can be done on-site or off-site, uh, and we can also record the event uh, for future viewing and or even posting uh, to the online obituary. Um, this has been something that, uh, you know, we had available, quite honestly, but we never really had the need to use it. Um, all of our platforms for arrangements have been basically available since 2015, 2016. Uh, but we were able to still continue to have face-to-face consultations with families to discuss arrangements and plan funerals. Well, now to keep our, our staff safe and the family safe, we're utilizing Zoom for arrangement consultations. The, the live streaming of the farewells. We've even had some situations utilize FaceTime. We don't do anything on Facebook um, just because of uh, some legalities with the music licensing agreements. And that's a whole other conversation, quite honestly. Um, But uh, we have people that basically uh, we've provided them an additional level of training and proficiency to operate this equipment. And, and uh, to this point oh, in time, good. We, that's good. And, like right now, we have a situation where we have, um, you know, a family, um, three individuals need to travel to Northeast Ohio. Um, that situation um, couldn't have happened here previously, but, you know, with so two of them are driving and one's flying. Um, and you're basically under the guidelines of your state and your city in terms of when you return, would there be a quarantine requirement? But they're permitted to travel to Ohio 
because it's an essential business activity, i.e. attending a funeral. Attending a funeral. Well, you know, one of the things we're talking about is that we've always had funerals here. Like, let's go back the last five years because things have been pretty much the same in normal times, January and prior. Um, and we have these rules now superimposed upon what we're accustomed to. Uh, and uh, a funeral itself, uh, and, and by the way, I'm a big proponent of pre-planning because it's always better and you have you have a clearer mind to plan right. stuff when you don't when you don't need it, not when you're all uh, enwrapped in, in grief and so on. But funerals generally during these times they're highly personal, they're highly emotional, and now you have all of these rules. Are, are people able to do things such as eulogies and remembrances and photos and all of that? We're, we're still doing for? we're still doing that and then some. And we've got our platform Send Hugs that allows people to leave video messages. Uh, we have uh, other ways for people to interact uh, with the family uh, that we're utilizing. But, but really, um, we find this is going to be a complicated situation because they've had an initial mm-hmm. event and then now come back July and or August or even sometime in June or as early as June, they're going to be having another event. They really haven't had the closure to their grief journey until they have what they believe they want, and that is that public event with family and friends all in attendance. Um, so, And I think in large part, we as a society really haven't come out to understand the the societal disruption, if you will, uh, to everyone's mental health and physical well-being as a result of isolation. Um, I think, you know, what is going to be your narrative following this quarantine is is a question we can all answer. Um, And what did you learn about your relationships during this time? And those of you that experienced loss, what type of additional grief support are you going to need? So on our website, we have under our resources section some phenomenal uh, articles written by Dr. Alan Wolfelt and others uh, that speak to uh, death during the COVID-19 pandemic and what could be some other levels of, of grief exposure or grief experience a family may may be faced with. And you well, what, mention, what is your what is your web what is your website on that? Yeah, it's bushcares.com. Bushcares.com. www.bushcares.com. And and also uh, you brought up something else that that you know only 65% of the population thinks it's a great idea to pre-plan one's funeral. Yet only 30 to 35% of the population ever takes the time to physically do it. Now, many people come into your law practice, Nick, and take care of uh, medical uh, documents, uh, estate documents, uh, power of attorneys to be put in place in the event that they're needed, durable power of attorneys for health care. You know the full list. And, oh, and yeah. they won't record and will do what you did with your father's arrangements, and that is pre-plan them so that basically if in the event of an emergency or death should have occurred, you basically picked up the phone and called us. And we knew how to care for your family and, and help your and it, family. And it worked out. It worked out so well. Well, Mark Bush, thank you yeah. so much for joining us tonight. Oh, uh, Nick, we're, we're out pleasure. of time. Yeah, but uh, this is such an important topic. And uh, again, uh, it's best to hear about these things and learn about them before we need to. 
So, Mark, thank you so much. And uh, thank you, Nick. Good health and, and safety to you and your family. Be safe as well, Nick. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. Until then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh mint tea.